This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host for this week's episode, Paul Jaisley, once again filling in for the magnanimous Mike Rappin, who is back from Japan. He'll be back to the show shortly, but until then, I'm in the, the captain's chair with my co-pilots for this episode, Kara Shamborski. Hey. And Brian Murray. Hey. Well, welcome to the show, guys. I'm excited for this week's topic, um, but before we get there... Once again, you have to answer the questions that the listeners want to hear every week. How have you been? How have comic books been? And how was your Halloween? Let's start with you, Kara. How was my Halloween? So uh, a a few of my friends were asking me, like, are you doing anything for Halloween? And I had to reply, I work at an elementary school. The entire day (laughs) is Halloween. Why would I have energy to do anything else after that? (laughs) So uh, it it was it, it was it was actually such a mess because um, so the little the little kindergartners were doing their little costume parade for their parents, but I had already spent the whole day like going to like all the classes and taking pictures of all the kids and mm-hmm. like going to multiple class parties because life is hard sometimes. And then it was like the end of the day and the kindergartners were parading around our field for their parents to take pictures. And I sat down on the field to take some pictures like at their eye level. And then I was like, oh, no, I don't think I can get back up again. <laughs> I think I live on this field now. <laughs> So, oh no so there i was just like sitting on the field and i was like kara there are literally a hundred parents behind you with their phones out taking pictures you cannot just sit on this field <laughs> so um but i was i was dressed like ray from star wars okay and because i have half half a ray costume from when i went to galaxy's edge over the summer <laughs> and uh i did my hair with like the three buns and mm-hmm. um which is actually a simpler hairstyle to do when you think you just have to be willing to compromise the structural integrity of your hair and use like actual elastics to hold everything in place and break a lot of hair strands when those come out. But like it, sure. it held all day and uh, nobody knew who I was like <laughs> some of the teachers did, but all sure. the kids were like, who are you? And I was like, well, well 30th child today i've seen dressed as elsa let me tell you (laughs) still really oh yeah because the the frozen 2 is coming out on thanksgiving so disney was like oh um this movie's coming out in a month but you can still wear the halloween costumes so like Mm -hmm. literally every girl at school was a disney princess and most of them were elsa of course so that's that's how my halloween was (laughs) Uh, and then in terms of, of comics this week, I've had a book sitting on my shelf for uh, probably three years now and haven't quite <laughs> gotten to it. But this week I was like, Kara, this is the week you have to read this book to see if you even like it or not. And it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Volume 1, Change is Constant, which I guess is the latest uh, start, the, the start of the latest um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ongoing from IDW. And I had like read some some micro series and one shots from this storyline, but didn't realize that it was part of a larger story. Because I think I talked about one of those on the show a few months back and I was like, I am confused. Where's Raphael? And Nick was like, let me tell you. And I was like, oh, OK, um, I'm missing like 50 issues. Got it. Got it. 
got it. <laughs> so this is the start of all that. And it's basically a reimagining of the origin story of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where they get mutated, but Raphael gets separated from them almost immediately. So the first like two years of the turtles being sentient is them looking for Raphael and Raphael is like off somewhere with amnesia and almost immediately meets up with Casey Jones. And then they're just like knocking skulls together because of, of course. And um, it, it was interesting seeing such a thorough reimagining of the origin story and done in such an intentional way because I'm used to the origin story that's just like the parody riffing off Daredevil's origin story but I guess you mm -hmm. can't keep picking backing off a Marvel thing if you're publishing from a different company so yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like if you if you like the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles I think it's worth a read um I th they definitely had a lot of references to characters where it's like if you know stuff about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle mythos you're like ooh that dude that dude go on but if you don't you're just kind of like there's a lot of names in this and we get yeah. no explanation but uh, April O'Neil is not a journalist in this at least yet she's uh, an intern at a science lab where the turtles are being um, created which uh, for, for me was entertaining because it's a riff off of the uh, recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, which I am unironically obsessed with. And okay, in, okay. in that, um, <laughs> Megan Fox's April O'Neil is like talking about how like her dad was the scientist working in the lab where the turtles were created and she's the one who named the turtles. So they have like, when they mm. realize who she is, they're like, oh, like you're the one who gave us our names and fed us pizza the first time. And I was like, guys, no, no, this is, stop it, stop it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. so I'm glad I finally read it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, it, when you're reading it, it's one of those stories where you can definitely tell like, oh, this is not a self-contained story. You are setting this up for a really long run, which they, they have now done. So, right. yep, hmm. that's me. That's so interesting. You know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles... I was the right age. It was the right time. I was obsessed with the cartoon. I had all the action figures and I've never once read a single comic book featuring the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I've just never had any interest in it. I think that you would like their, their first appearance because the whole thing started as yeah. a comic book parody. Right. Yeah. So I think that you would enjoy that in that uh, the creators were like, hey, comics are nonsense right now. So let's make fun <laughs> of that and like go real hard on that. Um, yeah. So I think you would like the one shot start to their adventures Ooh, read the read sure. the original black and white and uh keep your eyes okay. peeled for daredevil because yeah. you definitely see yep. him <laughs> nice okay yeah it's one of those things i've always been meaning to try so anyway can I, I will check it out can i tell you yeah. briefly though how i have had to concentrate on saying teenage mutant ninja turtles this entire <laughs> yeah. paragraph because one of my favorite posts on tumblr ever is just a text post where someone says two teenage needle teetles and that's <laughs> all i want to call them now <laughs> so this whole time i was like two teenage needle teetles two teenage needle teetles so i'm very proud of myself okay. for not doing that this whole explanation and now everyone else that just heard that is going to be doing that as well. So perfect. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Brian, how about you? How was your th Halloween and uh, what comics have you been reading? Uh, well, Halloween for me was fairly non-existent. Um, 
I didn't really do anything for work because, you know, I work for a giant corporation and we don't really have little kids running around in costumes. Actually, there was one small child dressed as uh, Captain America who stole the hearts of my entire team. Aww. But, uh This is uh, Kate and I's first Halloween as homeowners. And so I went whole hog on buying Halloween candy and like getting ready to hand it out. And then it snowed all day on Halloween. Oh. <laughs> and we did not get a single trick-or-treater. <laughs> so I have well, like nine have... pounds of Halloween candy. Is it returnable? <laughs> That's not the worst thing. Uh, well, it might have been before I opened it and started eating it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. My my mom said that she and my dad didn't have any trick-or-treaters either. And she, it was like really funny the way she framed it to me. She was like, I missed a Pilates class to come home and no one arrived. And I was like, Mom. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just watching Star Wars in my armchair waiting for kids to show up. I mean, all in all, that's not a bad way to spend a... Uh... An October evening. Yeah, that so. was a that yeah, was a great yeah. Thursday for me. <laughs> uh, comics wise, I, I stuck with the Halloween theme and read "Something Is Killing the Children" number one. Ew. It's uh yeah, it's from uh, James yeah. Tinian the Fourth with with art by uh, Werther Deladera, I think it is, and colors by uh, Mikel Muerto. Um, this is a really cool book it's all about it starts off with this kid at a sleepover telling a scary story to his friends and then we cut to him being interrogated by the police and him just like repeating that like you know i I made it all up it wasn't real the monster wasn't supposed to be real and then we find Mm. out that all of the kids he was having a sleepover with were murdered in the forest and the store, the, the the issue ends with this strange young woman arriving into town, who's like, "Hey, kid, you got a monster, and I'm here to kill it." <laughs> so Casual. it's uh, perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. the The art and the colors, especially, do a really good job of conveying that sort of creepy, oppressive feeling of like a small town in crisis that doesn't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Getting... You know, I remember seeing this, yeah, seeing the previews for this, and for some reason, I assumed it was more of a detective fiction type story. I didn't realize it had this sort of supernatural horror element. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, and it it definitely does not pull any punches on the gore front. Mm-hmm. Like we very clearly see, you know, kids who have been ripped in half with their guts hanging out and stuff. So, oh, f- fun for the whole family. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would highly recommend our uh, our listeners with strong stomachs checking it out. Okay. That's not me. <laughs> I'm getting creeped out just hearing the description, all right? That's my level. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the title alone is pretty much a big red flag, so you know what you're getting into, and you're going to be buying a book called Something is Killing the Children. Yeah, so. and there's a there's a huge two-page spread, like, where af- right after we get the kids at the sleepover, and then we just cut to just two black pages with scraggly white tacks. Just something is killing the children. Uh, no, thank you. It's it's real cool. If if you're into horror, I, I do highly recommend it. <laughs> it. Yeah, honestly, as someone that recently been binge watching all of the old Halloween films, I'm, I'm kind of in that mindset right now. So it might be something I'd have to check out. So yeah, for sure. How about you, Paul? Uh, well, in terms of Halloween, again, I had to work all day. I work second shift, so I didn't get out of work until about ten o'clock. So I spent Halloween at work. So not very exciting. Uh, 
but there like there was some leftover candy when I got home and I got to enjoy. And uh, my dog Phyllis was uh, very excited to see me when I came home. So that's a treat in itself, right? Did Phyllis have a costume? She did not have a costume. I thought about, I do have a Macho Man Randy Savage bandana <laughs> that I bought for her. I was going to put that on and maybe get like a like a replica wrestling championship belt to put on her, but she was too small for it. So, oh, oh well, maybe next year, maybe next year. Um, in terms of comics, I read a few Marvel comics this week, uh, which is kind of a big change for me. I read Spider-Man Full Circle. This was a kind of a surprise. I had forgotten that I had pulled this. So when it showed up in my pull box this week, I was pretty uh, surprised. And it was a pleasant surprise. This is a very fun Spider-Man story. The gimmick here is that you have seven different creative teams basically doing a game of telephone where one team starts a story, leads up to a big cliffhanger and passes off to the next uh, creative team who has to take the ball and run with it, so to speak. And the story gets uh, out of control to the point where everyone in New York gets turned into a werewolf. Uh, there's a plot involving a childhood, uh, uh, like a children's amusement park that's been taken over by AIM. Um, Spider-Ham shows up. It's pretty bonkers. And as someone that loves the character Spider-Man, but very rarely actually reads any Spider-Man comics, Same. this was a blast. You know? Yeah. I, it's, I just, for some reason, I can't bring myself to read this stuff regularly, but I love the wisecracking Peter Parker teenager in over his head. And that's exactly what this comic is. It's so bonkers and over the top. And yet throughout it all, what grounds it is Peter Parker's just willingness to kind of shrug and go along with everything, no matter how ridiculous it is. So um, there's a whole slew of creators here. I mean, the writers include Jonathan Hickman, Jerry Duggan, Nick Spencer, Kelly Thompson, Al Ewing, Chip Zdarsky, and Jason Aaron. You have artists like Michael Allred, Greg Smallwood, Chris Sprouse, uh, Rachel Stott, Cameron Stewart, Mark Bagley, and a small army of inkers and colorers, colorists. It's a really fun book. It is $10 because it's like an oversized, probably 80-page issue. But if you want a good Spider-Man story that you can just read it on its own as a one-shot, it's a lot of fun. So highly recommend that. Um, and I also read Fantastic Four Grand Design number one. This is the Tom Scioli riff basically retelling the events of the first 48 issues of Jack and Stan's Fantastic Four run. Um, if you read Ed Piscor's X-Men Grand Design, you know the gimmick here is that it's taking all the events that of a franchise and kind of retelling them chronologically. So this Fantastic Four comic starts with Uatu the Watcher, uh, witnessing the birth of Galactus. You get the whole history of the Kree-Skrull War. You get all the sort of mythological underpinnings of uh, Marvel Comics with the Eternals. And then eventually you get the Fantastic Four showing up. It's incredibly fun. I love Tom Seeley's artwork, and he clearly loves the source material, but it's so incredibly dense. Um, well, yeah, I mean, like Ed, have to be. You know, <laughs> you know, Ed Piscor, when he did uh, X-Men Grand Design, he kind of worked on like an eight-panel grid and kind of did this encyclopedic explanation of the history of the X-Men. Tom Scioli is more visually, um, it does it more visually. Like, there's not as much explanation of the stories. You kind of just see what happened in each issue. But he's working on a 25-panel page grid. So <laughs> the pages are just jam-packed with these little tiny panels. And you're getting just little snippets of Fantastic Four stories. But I th thought it was so overwhelming in that sense that I really enjoyed it. I actually had to like read it in like th like three chunks, like sit down three separate times, kind of read, you know, 10 pages at a time to get through it. But what's really funny is that uh, Silly has a ton of like little visual gags and Easter eggs. Like there'll be a panel that basically is him mimicking an old uh, Jack Kirby like cover, like, you know, with, but with different characters. Mm -hmm. 
there's one panel where you see two characters kissing, but it's it's clearly a riff on the Gustav Klimt painting, The Kiss. You know, it's the exact same composition and stuff. So if you give if you have the time and the patience to get through 25 panels a page, it's really rewarding. And uh, I can't wait to see what the next issue is. I think he's doing it in two issues. So this issue ends with Silver Surfer showing up on Earth, which is, I think, issue 48 of the Fantastic Four on the original run. So... It's an amazing visual accomplishment. I'm not sure it's for everybody, but if you love Tom Scioli or if you're curious about the history of Fantastic Four, it's a lot of fun. So that's what I read this week. Sounds pretty intense. Like 25 panels <laughs> a page? The mind boggles. It's, it really does. I mean, if you've read his, um, I mean, if you've read Scioli's Transformers versus G.I. Joe, he did a lot of full page composition, a lot of big action. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. this is like... This is like the opposite where you just say, let me get everything I can get on the page, but just do it in like panels and just tiny little panels. But there are certain moments where he does like a bigger page or does like half a page of a where a panel takes up half a page and it's such a visual like relief at that moment. It's if you're interested in like how panel size and number like changes the reading pacing and experience, it's a really interesting visual experiment on top of being a very fun comic. So I don't know. I enjoyed it. With that said, let's look ahead to the future. Let's look ahead to November 6th, this upcoming Wednesday. New comic books will be in the stores. Uh, Kara, what are you excited for this week? Okay, hear me out. (laughs) (laughs) Hear hear me out. A promising start. (laughs) My, My comic pick for this week is the latest addition to the Minions series. Yes, the same Minions that are the little yellow pill guys from Despicable Me and go around saying, banana! Oh, the ones from my aunt's Facebook page, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I realize that, and I I know what you're all thinking, you're thinking, but Kara, the minions are like appealing to the lowest common denominator of humor, and to which I say, and? (laughs) 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 So, uh, oh man, when... When Despicable Me first came out, I I saw that movie. Um, I think I remember it so vividly because, first of all, it was like this really sweet story about parenting. And uh, I saw it, I think, right before I went to study abroad in France. And then I saw it again in French. So there I was like in Paris, the only adult without children in that theater, because I was like, this is my level of French, and I am practicing my French by being here, seeing a film I've already seen in English. And uh, the I think the voice actor for Gru in uh, France is Gad Amala, who's like this really famous French comedian, and he did a superb job. But um, the the minions, like they they are funny. I realize they've been over commercialized, but what isn't these days? So, um, the minions comics are actually really good. Uh, I've read a bunch of them before. They're done by a French creative team because actually most of the, um, I don't know if Ill- Illumination, uh, the production company that does those movies is French or if they just have a lot of French people working on those films. But if you, for at least for the first few um, Despicable Me movies, if you look at the movie credits, it's a lot of French people. So for the comics, they have a French creative team doing the stories. And so they really do bring this rich bon dessiné sensibility to their storytelling. And all the Minions comics are silent 
or they have like a few lines of gibberish from the minions doing that like made up language that they made for them um but the but like getting visual gags done well in comic book form can be really difficult especially if there's no uh words backing up that action but the minions comics are consistent like one or two page just like gag strips with really rich coloring and they're really it's like i'm sh- i'm sure you're all thinking like well it's a minion comic obviously it's a cash grab and they're going to be like movie stills with words or they're going to be like they got some like cheap artists trying to get something on their resume doing it no no no. these are like really really well done pieces of art and I know you're all rolling your eyes at me right now but I, I'm serious these Minions comics are very good and the the one that's coming out this week is called Minions number one paella and it is being billed as a culinary adventure where the minions go around the world trying different foods around the world and reacting to them. And I can honestly think of nothing better because I, I know how how beautifully well made these comics are. And like, sure, the minions are silly, but you know what? 2019 is a garbage fire of a year and I'll take my happiness where I can get it. And if that's watching a bunch of minions scream, Paya! for like 30 pages i'll take it yeah i mean there's a there's a time and a place for silliness and if not now when (laughs) (laughs) so true so that that's my pick for this week minions number one paella okay well kara i have to admit i was skeptical when i saw you pick the minions because i wasn't and admittedly i i wasn't quite sure what minions were they're like the sentient twinkies that i see everywhere yes um right okay (laughs) Uh, and I had no idea where they came from. I just saw suddenly they were everywhere. But your description of the comics actually has me intrigued. So congratulations. I might actually flip through this one. Yeah, they're they're super cute. And uh, yeah, the the minions are they're they're just minions. Like I I don't I'm assuming <laughs> then you haven't seen the Despicable Me movies. But oh, I missed yeah I missed those. Yeah. Well, well, the first one is super sweet and it's this really heartfelt story about uh, parenting and being uh, an adoptive parent. And okay. um, the minions are just like the the comic relief on the sides. They're like the minions for this evil mastermind. And um, they're just kind of like bopping around doing their thing. And their their humor is largely either silent or they're like speaking a kind of gibberish language to one another. Mm-hmm. So having a comic book interpretation of their adventures be largely silent or maybe having a few words here and there is the right choice yeah 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 and and i'm I'm a fan of that uh ability to convey stuff purely visually i mean it does remind me of more gag strips and uh you know sunday morning funnies and stuff and i love that style of cartooning so it actually is yeah pretty intriguing so who knows maybe i'll be a minions fan (laughs) stranger things have happened this year i dare you to pick it up paul (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) challenge accepted Uh, brian what are you excited for this week uh, this week, I'm going to be picking up The Magicians number one, which is set in the same universe as the, the Magicians, like the TV show and the book series and all that stuff. Uh, but it sounds like this actually is not going to involve or maybe like it'll only indirectly involve the characters from those existing media. And so I'm excited to, to get a better look at this weird, like magical grad school world. Um 
this is going to be the the this book starts off with the first class at the break bills school for magical pedagogy that will have hedge magicians which are basically people who learn magic on the street as opposed to in a hoity-toity classroom somewhere uh so i'm i'm looking forward to that sort of uh you know the the conflict that inevitably comes from mixing together two wildly different worldviews like two different sets of people um mostly i want to see the private school kids get kicked around a little bit but i think that's <laughs> i'm probably channeling something there <laughs> yeah um but i'm a big fan of the show so i'm excited to to see what else this can do they actually have the the author of the books lev grossman is involved in the production of this comic so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what his influence brings to the table that sounds familiar is there another franchise about a uh, a school where people learn magic that seems to ring a bell uh i i think so <laughs> um, okay <laughs> sorry 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 bringing that slytherin energy yeah oh whatever that means yeah, yeah. Um, are you serious paul's a hufflepuff and we all know it <laughs> Well, everyone except me. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for letting me do that. <laughs> once the Harry Potter, look, as the host of the show, once the Harry Potter talk sta- starts, I get to stop it immediately. So, <laughs> so Paul, what are you looking forward enough. to this week? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to Undiscovered Country number one. This is a new series from Image Comics written by a really an all-star tag team. If I was putting together a uh, comic book writer wrestling tag team, these would be the champions. Scott Snyder and, Car- and Charles Sewell, um, with artwork by Giuseppe Camamuth, uh, with artwork by Giuseppe Camancoli and Danielle Orlandini, with colors by Matt Wilson, and um, I, the advanced buzz on this book is that this is kind of going to be Image's next big series. You know, since Saga's uh, on hiatus, uh, this will be the sort of the replacement book that everyone's talking about and buzzing about. The premise is that it's set in the near future, about 30 years from now, in a world where the United States of America has essentially walled itself off from the rest of the world and become an undiscovered country, like an unknown wild place. And the events of this book are that a team of scientists who are trying to find a cure for a worldwide global uh, epidemic have breached the wall in in the United States, a world they know nothing about. So... There's obviously some pretty strong um, contemporary political influence here uh, with current events. I also I, I also really like the sort of escape from New York, walling off a section of the country and just letting it run free vibes I'm getting from that. So, And again, like I said, Scott Snyder and Charles Sewell are two great writers. I'm kind of curious to see how they're going to work together on this type of uh, material. I'm pretty excited for this book. I, I think that's an interesting concept that is, um, you know, well suited for some sort of, um, you know, maybe not overt, but uh, some interesting political commentary as well as a good sort of solid action story. Yeah, so. you definitely got my attention. I hadn't heard about this before today, so <laughs> this is uh, definitely going to check this out. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited. So cool. Um, with that said, let's take a quick break. We have a big topic coming up here in the second half of the show. We'll be discussing the uh, quote-unquote trinity of DC Comics, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, what that means and uh, what they represent, so stay tuned for that.
as many of you who listen to this show might know, we are fans of Star Wars. <laughs> and as anyone who has access to the internet or any form of media probably knows by now, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker is hitting theaters this December. And Brian and I are so excited about this that so we have... Excited. So excited that we have committed to making nine shows just <laughs> about Star Wars comics called I Read Star Wars Comic Books. And the first episode of our special series <laughs> drops this Thursday for Patreon subscribers and Friday for the rest of you wonderful people. Uh, we are so excited to be exploring the world of Star Wars comics. We are focusing on the comics that have been published by Marvel since the Disney acquisition in 2009. And uh, we're just we're just having a lot of fun getting hyped for Star Wars. Like We're reading a really embarrassing amount of comics. I actually went to pick up a pile of Star Wars comics at the library on Halloween dressed as Rey. And that was the day the machines were down, so I had to go to an actual person to get my books checked out. <laughs> and I was not embarrassed. I was just like, well, what were you expecting? Who else would pick up this many Star Wars comics in one go? And with that, let's get to our main show topic. Uh, this week, as I said, we're talking about DC's trinity of characters, that is Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. And uh, we are sort of talking about what that means to be a trinity, why those characters have uh, endured for so long. And uh, we'll get some feedback from Brian, who apparently just learned that these characters existed today. So. <laughs> yeah, he's, so he's a man, but he's a bat? I don't... <laughs> There's a lot there. We'll unpack it for you. Don't worry. Um, okay. No, Akira, you suggested this topic, and maybe I'll just let you sort of um, introduce it, so to speak, what you wanted to uh, talk about, what you had in mind about these, uh, these particular characters and their relationship to each other. Thanks, Paul. I will do that. So, uh, DC Comics has this, like, they they know that Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are their money makers and kind of the core of who they are as a superhero company, and they also kind of self perpetuate that myth and self reference it a lot to the point where they've done, I think, a couple different comic series at this point explicitly called trinity or like some <laughs> variation of trinity focused on these three characters and uh i think that there over the decades there has been sort of this effort to make sure that the general public knows who these characters are even if they're not reading the comics i think batman superman and wonder woman are the most merchandised characters and you know it was quite a while before Wonder Woman got her own movie, but Superman <laughs> and Batman movies have been made with regularity since the 70s and 80s. So, mm -hmm. and it's very few DC characters have hit the big screen, but these characters keep hitting the big screen, increasing public knowledge of them. And uh, sometimes so, like a bird hitting a window. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I I think um like, for example, Brian, you're not the most, like, you haven't read probably as many DC comics as Paul and I have, but you are aware of these characters because you're yeah. a human being in America who consumes <laughs> <Yeah>. media. <laughs> right. I've turned on a TV in the last 30 years. So. 
Right. So it's like DC, like, you know, for better or for worse, puts the bulk of their marketing and other media efforts behind these three characters in particular. And I guess I kind of want to open the conversation by asking why these characters. I mean, the obvious answer is that they're the most popular and they're the longest running characters are the characters that survived, you know, the the collapse of the uh, superhero genre in the late 40s, early 50s, you know. They're the oldest uh, published characters that DC has. But I don't remember them ever being referred to as the Trinity or that phrase being used until I came back to comics about 2008 when that miniseries came out called Trinity. But since then, it's become a regular thing. And I'm just curious what the characters represent that gives them that sort of um, that reverence. Other, again, other than their markability and their you know popularity. I think I'm kind of riffing off of that original. I think it, I think you're right. It was like 2008-ish when yeah. that first Trinity series hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of explained that these characters represented sort of a balance. Like, so DC Comics has. We, I mean, we could talk all day about their <laughs> their philosophy, but in the the shortest possible version I can think of is that. The DC comic superhero characters are modern gods. They mm-hmm. are larger than life. They're supposed to be aspirational. And since Marvel Comics did their whole superheroes are people too thing in the 60s, DC has kind of tried to do that. But it doesn't ever quite work because that's not what their characters are at root. At root, their characters are the the gods of old reinterpreted yeah. for the 20th century so mm-hmm. uh they they do use um uh, i think i don't think they originally started out that way but over the decades as they've had uh, more and more um reinterpretations and uh I think baggage is a negative word, but there's a lot of baggage for these characters Sure, that yeah. uh, they do reach this larger than life status, especially if it's just these three characters that you're continuously uh, re-releasing to a non-comic book reading public. And I think that if you think of these three characters as a trinity in the, in the religious sense, and not even just in... Uh, the Catholic or Christian tradition of the Holy Trinity, but in terms of uh, three being considered a sacred number for a lot of cultures or mm-hmm. um, a number with magical meaning for uh, more pagan traditions, that uh, it, it's kind of undeniable that um, the grouping of things in threes has a lot of significance for a lot of different people around the world for various reasons. Yeah. So um, if you look at it like that and want to say, all right, so this makes sense that these characters are continuously kind of grouped together, either or consciously or unconsciously, Superman uh, represents the the light he is literally mm-hmm. powered by the sun yeah. and he's good he's like he's got this reputation for being like good and wholesome uh batman obviously represents the dark as seen as every single time he says i am the night uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so we've got we've got our our light and our dark and i would argue that wonder woman is uh the balance because mm-hmm. You know, D- DC Comics has never 
known quite what to do with Wonder Woman, but they've toyed over the years with ideas of her being um, a little bit more gray area than either Batman or Superman. Um, in Infinite Crisis, she's the one that snaps Maxwell Lord's neck, and the, right. these three characters were seen as, um, like, no, we don't kill, that's not us, but like Wonder Woman was seen as the character who could um, be the person to make that decision um in some interpretations they've made her a goddess of truth um she's been like a representative of justice like she does the right thing but she's a warrior there's always this exploration of her um being on this island of peaceful warriors which what and like there, I forget what story this was in, but I think it, like one other character says to her, like, "Oh, like you Amazons are all the same. Like preach peace, teach violence." So I would say Wonder Woman is more like the balance of the scales, and whether yeah. you want that to be justice or just the the manifestation of the balance between these opposing forces around the world. Uh, she kind of represents that. So to me, it makes sense that these three characters are seen as this trinity at the top of this modern pantheon that DC has created. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a, a fair explanation of, of how that, that works. And I think that's the way that was presented in the comics is, you know, you could have the rest of the Justice League, you could have ever like D or C list characters show up. And that, that's always fun. Like, you know... It, I'm always going to like it when Metamorpho shows up in a comic randomly, but when Superman shows up, it's a big deal, right? Everyone looks up to him. The rest of the characters in the universe recognize that these are the three um, like maybe most tenured uh, of characters of superheroes, you know? And uh, when they show up on the scene or when they're giving orders, that's so that's something important. So not just an, it's a weird sort of almost metatextual explanation of why they're the most popular characters, right? It's like, oh yeah, there's the characters that are showing up on the t-shirts and the, you know, on, on the uh, lunch boxes is because they're the most popular characters in the universe itself, you know, narratively and uh, fictionally. Um, what I also think is interesting because I always like stories where these three characters are presented as being friends, even though there's moments where there's tension between them and they might not get along, but it's always a weird thing for me when uh, Wonder Woman refer- refers to Superman as Clark or Cal, or she calls Batman Bruce. I'm like, oh, these are people that have known each other and spent their whole lives fighting side by side. And uh, that gives them a sort of connection and a depth that I think a lot of other characters might not have, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think part of that connection is more modern in that, like, as, as longtime readers of DC know, there was a definite shift in the 80s with Crisis on Infinite Earths. And ever since then, they've been a little bit more like, we are one unified universe and all these things are happening in the same space and we're redoing our... And even when they did like New 52 or... I don't even know what it is now, but they're they're constantly re-examining their whole universe as a whole and making a conscious effort to have these stories be interconnected for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, I want you to uh, maybe jump in here, maybe as someone not as familiar with the DC universe. What is your interpretation, maybe, of you know this idea of them being you know mythological gods as opposed to you know Marvel superheroes? Is that something you see just as an outsider? 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially because yeah. I mean, my my biggest exposure to the DC universe was always watching the Justice League cartoon, okay, um, on Cartoon Network when I was a kid. Iconic. And, yeah. Yep. When when they literally lived in a satellite orbiting mm-hmm. the world, like they were in the heavens. So I right. definitely yeah. got that that deified sense of them. Um, like beaming down to save the day wherever they're needed. Yeah. And you mentioned Wonder Woman calling Batman Bruce. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so almost upsetting for me to hear Batman referred to by a human name. <laughs> it's like, cause like, like even like Bruce Wayne sounds fine. But it's like, Oh, Hey yeah. Bruce. Like that doesn't, that's not right. <laughs> his, his name is Batman. His name is Batman. That's right. Yeah. I guess that's kind of our point, though. Like these characters are larger than life. Like it's it's nice to know their backstories, but you know that the the it, there's so many Batman stories where it's mm-hmm. like, well, which one are you? Are you the bat or the man? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess I mean I like the idea is that the only people that can understand what they've been through are each other. That makes yeah. sense. Where it's like. You know, um, sure, Batman probably gets along with the Flash just fine, but he's going to have a deeper, I think, connection to Superman, right? Bruce and Clark are good friends. I don't know about Bruce and Barry or Bruce and Wally, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, can I? Um, I'm 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 not sorry for where I'm about to take this, but um, okay. <laughs> uh, so in the DC Trinity comic from like around 2008 Mm -hmm. like there's this scene where wonder woman just kind of like looks at the two guys and she's just like i've dated both of you stop it (laughs) and because like she she has at some point because you know comics and everyone's like there no relationship is permanent except for things like you know uh barry and iris and stuff like that but um uncle ben and death (laughs) <laughs> oh, ooh, 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 not where i was going but like you know um like it's it, it's 2019 wonder woman's dated both the guys when are the when are the guys gonna date each other that's my question <laughs> like paul's saying they're such good friends i'm like are they just good friends paul are they just well, good friends or could they be something more well, I think, you know, I, I I don't like the idea of there needing to be a, uh, you know, a sort of romantic relationship. You can have other types of deep personal emotional relationships between other people. And like, you know, one of my favorite Superman comics is from the, uh, I think, early 50s. It's the uh, super key to Fortress Superman, where you find out that Superman has a statue of Batman in the um, Fortress of Solitude just because he's a good friend of his. Like, yeah, I'm just going to have statues of my friends so I can hang out with them even <laughs> though they're not around. As one and then, does. Exactly. I, def- I definitely have a statue of both of you guys in my room. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, of course, the story goes on that Batman actually breaks into the Fortress of Solitude and uh, plants an elaborate um, sort of like detective game uh, puzzle for Superman to solve to find out who broke in. And at the end, Batman just bakes a giant birthday cake for <laughs> Superman to celebrate the anniversary of him landing on Earth. And it's just a moment. It's like, these guys are such good friends that, you know, it, that's a deeper <laughs> emotional connection than most relationships are, you know? Batman that might be built the an wildest escape Batman. The room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the wildest Batman story I've ever heard. <laughs> that's oh. incredible. I need to read this immediately. <laughs> 
what were, I think it's, I want to say it's Action Comics 241. That might not be correct on that, the issue number. But yeah, the, the super key to Fortress Superman is one of my favorite comics of all time he because of that. So. Cake. <laughs> oh, that's so adorable. So that's, I mean, that's what I like. The idea of the one of the bigger um, sort of, you know, uh, unfortunate results of Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns is that people always want to see Batman and Superman fight. To me, they would never fight. They're best friends. You know, it's and that relationship, I think, extends to this trinity, the idea that these characters, again, they might disagree, but they sort of form the sort of moral or ethical core that the rest of the superheroes and the rest of the characters in DC Universe and me as a reader look up to, you know? Oh, yeah, undoubtedly, which I think... I think it's interesting to also look at the history of these characters to see how we got here, because as we mentioned before, it wasn't always like this in the DC (laughs) universe. And part of that is because uh, these characters have gone through some slight changes. I mean, when Batman was first introduced as a character, like for the first few issues, he's straight up shooting gangsters. Like (laughs) the Batman we know and love today is very different from the original interpretation and then of course in the 50s um and 60s he was like super wholesome yeah (laughs) like Mm -hmm. they were building this whole bat family around him because uh they're basically like okay well batman needs to be more kid friendly so here's a kid's sidekick robin the boy wonder and we promise they're not gay so here's some girls for them to want to date who are also dressed as bats except with skirts exactly and- here's a here's a carousel of robins for, for you to enjoy <laughs> right. um and then you know superman so he's been kind of seen as like you know the big blue boy scout but you know he had a, he had a mullet in the 90s He's yeah, exactly. he's had yeah. some changes, and There's then a midlife crisis there, you know, <laughs> crisis on middle age. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Wonder Woman changes just about every decade because I don't know if DC ever quite knows what to do with her. Well, you know, and again, Brian, maybe you could be the sort of um, uh, less uh, entrenched DC voice here, uh, but. I think the reason for that is that Wonder Woman doesn't have a very quick explanation. Like, Superman's pretty easy to get. Strange visitor from another world, powers beyond those of mortal men. Easy. Batman, strange creature of the night, avenging his parents' death. Quick and simple. Wonder Woman, she's made of clay and might be the daughter of Zeus. We're not sure. She comes from an island of, you know, peaceful warriors. It doesn't, she doesn't have the, quite the same sort of immediate explanation. Yeah, that I, I think mean, it, is easier to interpret. It really just depends on how much detail you want to get into. Because mm-hmm. you could just say, you know, like, she's a warrior from the island of the Amazons and, and call it a day. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I think that she's an interesting character to me because, you know, Batman is definitely driven by this idea of this terrible thing happened to me and to my parents, and I don't want anyone to ever have to live through something like this ever again. And I, I am the person who can fix it. Yeah. And uh, Superman's more like, I was raised to do the right thing, and mm-hmm. I will do that right thing. And Wonder Woman's more like... Um, I, th- I think she was more like raised to see like, oh, the the world of men is kind of garbage. So the Amazons have kind of sealed herself off. But I do think that 
people can do better and be better and I want to go and help them because that's the right thing. So in that sense, she's more kind of on the Superman track of I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. As opposed to Batman had kind of like a like a personal thing happen to him and that's his motivation. Yeah. Yeah, I think that her her motivations are less clear cut because she's from a place that is separated from the rest of the world. Mm. Like it's she she had the option of just not getting involved with the world of men. And so I think that it's interesting that she chose to. Um but it's not as yeah. clear as like Superman who grew up around all this stuff, so of course he's going to get involved. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it, it reminds me of one of my favorite moments in uh, the New Frontier, the Darwin Cook uh, miniseries. Yeah, um, where which I was going to say, if we wanted to recommend books that highlight these characters, there might not be a moment where in that book where they're presented as a trinity, but I think it's one of the best interpretations of all three characters in this in um, Brave New World, but um, or New Frontier. Sorry, mm-hmm. there's a moment where. Uh, Superman confronts Wonder Woman because she had led a bunch of um, kidnap uh, women that had been kidnapped in a village to uh, kill their captors, and they're celebrating afterwards. And Superman's like, "Well, you're celebrating like murder. You're celebrating the death of these these people." And woman gives a speech about how they're liberating themselves and they're standing up for truth and justice and all this. And um, the way Darwin Cook illustrates her, she's clearly taller than Superman. Like, and she's intimidating him to a point. And the last panel on the page is like, if you don't agree with this, she points and says, there's the door, spaceman. And it's such a great <laughs> moment because it's a Wonder Woman just saying like, look, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you might be the big blue boy scout everyone looks up to, but in this moment, you don't know what you're talking about. And the fact that I guess you have three characters that can kind of put each other in their place, even though they're the strongest of the whole universe, kind of brings them together in a sense. So you're talking about them being the, the strongest characters is just making me think of the whole like like you're right there's this continuous like since the 80s batman versus superman thing that is just (laughs) like why but also um i i think in the mid 2000s dc did a lot of reminding the readers that uh batman has a kryptonite ring in his belt at all times right in yeah. case he needs to use it and like i i forget if he just like had that made because he's paranoid and awful or <laughs> if superman gave it to him because he trusted batman to do the right thing but hmm. um i mean either way it says a lot about both of their characters but yeah. um yeah, exactly yeah. but also i agree with the people who are like Okay, but like, let's say for a minute that Superman really is being mind controlled or just like snaps and decides to take everyone out and Batman's the only one who could stop him. You really think that Batman, a mortal man with just a lot of money and some good training, is going to reach that pocket on his belt faster than (laughs) Superman, who is like consistently testing his speed against the flash the fastest right. man alive you really think batman's <laughs> gonna get to that pocket before superman can that's one right. of my one of my favorite jokes is always like whenever you have the comic book conversation of who would win in a fight batman or x the answer is always well how much prep time does batman have <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah that's what it comes down to yeah <laughs> um so 
I, I guess I'm curious now, now that I mentioned it, are there particular stories you might recommend, uh, Kara, that um, would highlight this relationship or think are, is a good example of that? I mentioned New Frontier, I think Kingdom Come by Mark Wade and Alex Ross is another good one. Uh, but maybe if you had another one in mind to recommend. Ooh, it's been so long since I've read Kingdom Come. Um, I actually did enjoy reading the Trinity series when it was coming out. And that is, I mean... That's an endeavor. That's that was a fifty-two issue series. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's a, that's not a quick read. But um, I would I would also say like it's it's not comics, but I agree with Brian that some of my my formative impressions of these characters was watching the Justice League animated series that was on Cartoon Network as part of the Timverse, and uh, one of my favorite episodes is. The one where Wonder Woman is turned into a pig by Cersei. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) so um, Batman, she's like, I think this is all the same episode. It's like she and it's like Wonder Woman and Batman are on this rooftop staking out something. And she's like kind of flirting with him because like in an earlier episode, he had like saved her or something and she like kissed him on the cheek and the produce showrunners were like surprised that fans were into that idea. They were like, Oh, we got this reaction that we didn't know would happen. I mean, we just had this throwaway moment and now people are clamoring for them to date. And I was like, <laughs> yes. What did you think? Really? Yeah. You clearly have no women yeah. on your writer's room. You're telling but, me like, that you want the cartoons so, to kiss? <laughs> so, what? So, uh, so, so then they were just like, so we decided to have them like flirt a little bit. And so Wonder Woman's like, no, no dating for the Batman. It would cut into your brooding time. And he's just like continuing to brood while she's saying this. And I'm like, okay. So then um, things happen and Wonder Woman gets turned into a pig by Cersei and Batman's trying to change her back. So he he enlists the help of Zatanna and Buana Beast, which like talk about a D-list character. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're doing deep cuts here. <laughs> but um, so then it's like Buana Beast is using his like talking to animals powers to try to find Wonder Pig. <laughs> And when and so then like Batman's trying to figure out how to change her back and he's just like making sure she stays safe as a pig the whole time. And it's like weird, but really cute. And the episode kind of like ends with him um, being like, Cersei, I need her to be swapped back. Like, what do you want from me? And she just like gives this like evil smirk. And the next thing you see, Batman is singing in like a blues lounge at a microphone (laughs) (laughs) and when that episode first aired i could not breathe i was laughing so hard because it's kevin it's kevin conroy like voicing the batman basically like they learned he could sing and then they were like let's write an episode with this so he's just singing am i blue for like and and everyone's like no he's 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 done now we've changed wonder woman back and then the girls are like no 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 let let him keep going and so it's just like all these heroes watching batman sing and like i think i was i think i like rolled off the bed that i was watching on i was just like i was done i was like batman is singing and this is everything that's amazing i'll have to look that one up i don't remember that episode so oh my god you have that's to watch fantastic. it fantastic yeah <laughs> <laughs> um 
So, yeah, I guess uh, maybe to kind of wrap things up here, um, I wanted to pose this question, too, so we can include Brian in the conversation. Um, (laughs) If you had to put together a Marvel Trinity, uh, three characters that you think would kind of fit the same mold as uh, this DC's Trinity, who would you pick for your team? Or is there or is it there? The universes are so different. There might not be an obvious comparison there. I think because the Marvel universe is a little more like our characters are human and therefore flawed, there's less of an obvious comparison. Um, That said, my like growing up in the 90s, my understanding was that Storm was like (laughs) the Wonder Woman of the Marvel universe. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because my my immediate reaction was um, due to the movies, uh, the popularity of the Marvel movies, it would seem to be Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man would be the obvious trinity. But it's like you'd have to have Spider Man in there too, and I don't know who Spider Man would replace in that in that group. So yeah, there's not really a, not really a wise cracking humor <laughs> character in the DC trinity. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. sometimes would... Wonder Woman, but Spider Man would probably be the counterpoint to Superman in that. You know, Superman never had a whole like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, but he does embody that constantly. So even though Spider-Man's a little more like, we're going to lay this one out for all of you, (laughs) like Superman lives that all the time and has prior to the creation of Spider-Man. So, all right. So I've got, I've got two of my three. I've got Storm and Spider-Man and... Mm. is there is there really a a batman character who'd be like the darkness in the marvel universe well i see i don't know if it's darkness as much as the sort of strategist angle so i put captain america would kind of be my analogy for batman because you know uh cap is willing to fight in the trenches you know he's he's done the hard time there in, in world war ii he's willing to do what it takes and he's kind of the guy who can plan things really well so i think for me captain america is kind of the batman uh analogy there i'll take that argument i'll I'll note that we're we're talking about character archetypes and not necessarily p- uh public awareness right exactly yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah but again like again with these characters there isn't that that mutual understanding that paul you were referencing earlier where yeah. the the dc <laughs> trinity like it's very clear that that they've been working together for a while and they know and trust right. one another yeah, Brian, do you have any insight here? No, my three B. My pick was actually going to be the same as yours, Paul. Oh, okay. Where I was thinking of like the the three like most known characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since the the movie started coming out, it's definitely those guys. Oddly enough, I think you could make an argument that for Marvel, instead of it being a trinity of characters, you could have a trinity of teams. I think the Avengers, the X Men, and the Fantastic Four would be covering all the bases. I know that's kind of like bending the rules a little bit, but if you think about the way the universes work, when there's something big going down, the teams show up, you know, in mass instead of it just being the justice league, you know? So that's, could maybe interpret it that way. That's definitely an interesting way to look at it because, uh, I think the way that the DC universe was structured is so that it can be about these individual stories of these characters and sure they might be on a team but those rosters are always changing whereas right. with marvel 
there generally is those the the core members of those teams that you mentioned who mm-hmm. you you know like sure Wolverine has been on every team <laughs> ever sure yeah but yeah. you know you're like oh Wolverine he's an X-Men right yeah I guess if we're going to put together our favorite characters uh, for Marvel, my trinity would be uh, Ben Grimm, She-Hulk, and Captain America. Let's let's leave it at that. I think that's a good group. What a hunky group. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Uh, So any final thoughts before we uh, wrap it up and uh, get on our way here? I I want to have just like a a super brief tangent before we wrap up. (laughs) So... The movie Suicide Squad was <laughs> a thing that happened. Undeniably but, true. <laughs> the thing that happened. But uh, I think what is also undeniably true is it kind of re-elevated Harley Quinn as a character that the public was aware of to the point where she became a moneymaker for DC at which point I forget which higher up in the DC comics organization was like, yes, Harley Quinn is our fourth pillar of DC comics up there with Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman. And I was like, is she though? Well, I got to say every time I go into the comic book shop, the number of books I see with Harley Quinn, you know, appearing in them, that's, that might be not, not the worst argument to make. You know, she's a pretty popular character these days. Sure, but does yeah. <laughs> popularity and commercial viability put her at that same level as those other three characters we've been talking about this yeah, whole time? Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, cynically, yes, but if we're g- <laughs> I- ideally, no. So. <laughs> my wallet says yes, but my heart says burn it all to the ground. <laughs> Perfect, yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think that's, I, I think, again, if I'm being purely cynical, sometimes it's hard not to be when talking about uh, mainstream comics. And I can see what they're getting at with that argument. But she would not be in my, uh, wouldn't be in my top 10. I'll put it that way. So no, she's definitely like the she's the DC Comics Wolverine is what she is. Because when, <laughs> yeah. when writers don't know what to do. They just throw Harley Quinn into the mix. <laughs> I, you know yeah, I would that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I maybe would have gone with Deadpool these days, but I can see what you're getting at. So, all right, I'm coming at it from more of like a 2009 yeah. perspective. <laughs> Get with the times, Brian. Um, Paul, I'm well, 31 uh, now. I, I can't anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, tell me about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Brian, I want to thank you for being a good sport and uh, joining this sure. uh, DC-centric conversation. So, yeah. Uh, listeners, if you have any thoughts on who would be your Trinity for Marvel, or if you have some thoughts about the DC Trinity, please let us know. You know where to find us. We are all over this thing called the internet. You can find us all on Twitter. Brian is at Brian Head. Kara is at Kara S. Zam. I am at Ohi Polly. And of course, the show is at IRCB Podcast. We share comic book news, links to episodes, artwork that we like, and a whole bunch of other stuff. You can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast, which you should do to get our Star Wars shows a whole day before mm. the general public. Without your support, this show wouldn't survive. Dun, dun, dun. Join now for access to exclusive audio articles, previews of the IRCB schedule, early access to top of my pile posts, and more. Our Goodreads group is a lovely community of comic friends, and we have weekly threads. Check it out at ircbpodcast.com slash goodreads. You can also find us at our website, ircbpodcast.com, where we have a pronunciation guide, uh, Discord server information, zines, merch, and everything else IRCB. 
you haven't already, please rate and review our show five stars on iTunes and beyond, and we will read your review on the next episode. Uh, any other comments or concerns, uh, if you want to email us with what you've been reading, recipes, corrections, etc., you can do that at ircbpodcast at gmail.com. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They also do the music for our show, so thanks to them. Xander is a kind human, a lawful neutral orc, a friend, and he also edits the show. Uh, I want to thank Kara and Brian for joining me. I want to thank uh, Mike again for letting me host the show this week. Uh, Glad to see you back, Mike, next week. Until then, until next time, comics are good, and so are you.